if you would please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 63. <clears throat> Psalm 63. And really, as you will you'll see as we're reading, uh, what I want you to consider is how great of a thing David really is an example for us here in, in delighting in God's presence and protection. Um, he sets before us a, a great example, but as we'll see this morning, ultimately we have that example, example in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, Psalm 63, starting in verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. As for the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to it. Let us now go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Our gracious, almighty God and heavenly Father, Lord, we do truly thank you for your word. Lord, and we thank you for the Psalms. Lord, what a comfort they are to our souls. Lord, how you use them to really express every anatomy as, as of our soul. Uh, Lord, we can go to your word, and not only to rejoice, but to find comfort, to express our sorrow. Lord, what a blessing that is. Lord, what a blessing it is, too, to have Christ who truly is in all of the Psalms. Lord, we thank you for the union we have with him, that knowing in him we can sing all of these Psalms. We can rejoice in all of these Psalms, find comfort, and find ourselves because of our Lord. Lord, we ask now that you would bless the opening of your word this morning. Lord, that you would cause us to hear from Psalm 63, that you would cause us to, to grow in our, our knowledge and understanding, but not only that, Lord, our application. Lord, create a doxology in our hearts to respond to your word, to grow closer to you, and to walk as you would have us walk. We ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, dear congregation, I, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on the run. 
I want you to imagine for a moment that there are those who are, are truly seeking your life. They're, they're forcing you from your home. They're forcing you from your comforts, from your protections. They're forcing you away from resources, from your family and from your friends. So in these, this season, you might begin to feel overwhelmed. Uh, your hope will begin to wane. Your circumstances will begin to look bleak. And you're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel like an outsider. And your faith even may become shaken. Well, as we look at this psalm, this is precisely where we find David. Uh, the title of this psalm tells us that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Um, so if we look at the context, this could have been written uh, really when David was in two places. It could have been when David was on the run from Saul. Or it could have been when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. But whichever the case, what we see here is David was cast away as an outsider. He was cast into the wilderness by his enemies and he was cast away from the comforts of his home, his family, and the tabernacle. He was cast away from his covenant community, from worship, and what it seems from his God. And if we're honest, like David, our Christian heavenly pilgrimages are filled with a lot of these wildernesses. They're filled with barren valleys. But as we journey through this life, we, we can find comfort in these times. We can find comfort in the Lord, and we can, we can seek Him, and we'll see that here this morning. But to express how this is in our lives a little more, I want us to think about how, if we look at our society today, our society has grown increasingly hostile towards us as Christians. It's increasingly vile. It's rebellious. And it's violent. You can only just look at the news and see so much horrific acts. And as we try to stand up as Christians, it seems like we are small. It seems like we are alone. And it makes us feel like outcasts, like outsiders. It may be that we are experiencing a growing opposition to our position in Christ. Especially those who are new to the faith or... or Kids, as, as you think about proclaiming and expressing your faith to some friends that, that may not believe, you, you can feel like an outsider. You can feel like you don't belong or that you're alone. But we find help in this psalm. It could be also in the mundane that we feel alone. I want you to think about your day-to-day -day struggles. Various circumstances in life can make us feel like we're cast away, that we're cast out. It could be struggles with finances. It could be wondering what we're going to do in our careers or even if our careers are a good fit for us. It could be various trials and troubles, troubles, the death of a loved one. It could be marital struggles. It could also be our, our battle with sin and temptation. Oftentimes when we, we fall into a pattern of sin, we feel like we have no hope. We feel like we have no one to go to and we feel as if we're alone. And it's in all of these times that we can be tempted to say, if only, if only, if only if I would have done this better, if only if I would have had this life, if only I wouldn't have committed that sin. 
But what we do in those times is we begin to look to ourselves. We don't look out and we don't look to Christ. We cannot begin to say, if only, but rather we need to throw ourselves upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. And as we look at David's circumstances in Psalm 63, we see that what he experiences here in the wilderness sets before us a a pattern for responding properly to our trials and troubles. It's a pattern that we can use. So I want us to think as we, we read and as we sing this psalm, we sing it in Christ. We sing it in the one who, whom we are united to. We need to, to rest and delight ourselves in God. We need to learn to delight ourselves in his presence and protection in our wildernesses. So this morning, I, I want to consider three heads under delighting in God's presence and protection in the wilderness. Three heads. The first is desiring after God. The second is delighting in God. And the third is deliverance of God. So I'll read those again. Desiring after God, delighting in God, and deliverance of God. Let's look first at desiring after God. Look again with me at verse 1. David says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What we see here in verse 1 is David longing after God. He's earnestly seeking after God in the midst of his afflictions. Here in this verse, we see David calling to mind his relationship with the Lord. He cries out, Oh God, you are my God. I need to see that this is David's covenant Lord. This is the one who's been faithful to David throughout his life. It's the God who has walked with David, who's upheld David. It's the one who's been David's comfort. David has enjoyed, as, as we, we see throughout Scripture and we see throughout the Psalms, we see in First and Second Samuel, David has enjoyed very sweet and very precious communion. And he does this within times of worship. He does this in times of prayer and in meditations. And it's here in the midst of, of David's desolation that he earnestly seeks for and desires after God. Let's think for a moment here of the life of David. We heard earlier that this, this psalm was written while David was uh, on the run in the wilderness. And we can we really see that two times. As I mentioned earlier, we, we see this as he was being his life was being sought after by Saul. Or another time could have been, and, and what I, I personally think David is writing from is when David was on the run from Absalom. This is when Absalom usurped the throne, when he took the throne from David. But as as we said, in, in either case, whether it was the case of Saul or whether the case of, of Absalom, David's cast away, David's lonely, and David's broken. But again, if it's the case of Absalom, it comes after David's fall. If you remember, before Absalom took the throne, David fell with Bathsheba. It comes right after that heinous sin, that fall of David, where David brought great shame and grief upon himself, but not only himself, upon all of Israel. There's no doubt that this probably would have caused great doubt. 
and David. If you remember when, when Absalom's doing this, a lot of people are rebuking David, saying, David, you brought this upon yourself. God has forsaken you, David, as he's leaving to, to flee Absalom. David could have doubted his salvation, and he could have doubted the promises. But as we read here in verse 1, David thirsted. David fainted after God in a dry and weary land. <clears throat> here David is, is weary from hiding. He's thirsty. He's broken down. And yet when calling out to God, David does not first seek to have his circumstances change. And that's important. David doesn't seek and ask the Lord to, to change my circumstances. Comfort me with earthly pleasures and, and, and needs. But he earnestly desires the only one who can truly satisfy him. He desires his God. He desires his God. And I, I want to ask the question, when we're in these circumstances and times, do we find that we are running to God? When it feels like all is going wrong, are our prayers focused upon the earthly? Or are they focused upon the spiritual? Are they focused upon God delighting us in his presence? But I want us to, to think about how do we do this and, and how do we do this is it's not that we look to David. As I said, he sets before us an example, but it's in the psalm and in these verses here that we truly see the greater David. There's no better illustration given us than the life of Christ. As we consider Christ and as we consider his earthly minister, minister earthly ministry, he was constantly rejected. He was cast away. And he was on the move from his enemies. Christ had a pattern of, of moving and feeling rejected. He was constantly humiliated. But it's in those times that we saw Christ perfectly desiring after and earnestly seeking for God. It's Christ that did this in the midst of his afflictions. We can consider Matthew 4, Christ's temptation. So this is when Jesus is being led into the, the led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. We know that, that Christ had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. We, knowing this, we know that Christ would have been weary. He would have been hungry. And yet, yet as Satan tempted Christ, it's very clear in Christ's responses that his appeal was to the Scriptures. Christ appealed to the Scriptures when he rebuked Satan. He appealed to them because it was his desire to please God. It was his desire for his Father. He wanted to do his will. You see, Jesus desired his Father above all else. All else. Every moment of his life, he longed for fellowship with his Father. And it's no doubt that we see Christ felt the pain of living in a barren world. As we see here, or as we, we, we heard in Matthew 4, it was the wilderness literally for his temptations, but it was metaphorically for all of his life. All of his life. And it's, it's here that we see that Christ entered fully into the experience that David foreshadowed. And, it was, and it's in Christ that we truly have that pattern set for us. And it's a pattern and a power to truly desire after God. I've already said it, but I can't make this, this point clear enough. Amid our afflictions, our bleak circumstances, our wildernesses, we must throw ourselves on Christ. 
must throw ourselves upon Christ. You cannot trust yourselves to desire after God as you ought. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't make that list of if-onlys and say, if I only do this, my pattern of reading or my devotion, my worship only looks like this, then I will have a greater experience in relationship with God. You cannot do it. What that does is it falls into moralism or despair because you're trusting in yourself. You've got to throw yourself upon the mercy of God. You've got to understand that you, if you are in Christ, are united to him, that you have all things in him, and that when you're going through the wilderness of life, Christ went for it through you, for you in a way that we could not ever imagine. We can trust in him. And we can throw ourselves upon him. We can seek him for comfort. We can go to his word for advice. We can come to the Psalms and see him perfectly here in Psalm 63. We've got to throw ourselves upon him. I want you to ask yourselves, is this how you desire after God? Do you truly make time for God in your prayers? Do you make him your meditation in hard times? Or do you make that list of phonies? Do you go to other supposed remedies? We must learn. You must learn that we must throw ourselves upon Christ's grace and his mercy. We need to trust Christ and enter into the fruits of his desire. He is the only one that can fill our desires and his affections and our affections after himself. So again, as, as we read today, as we sing after, we read as ones united by the Spirit. And we read and we sing in and through Christ. Which leads me to my second point, delighting in God. Delighting in God. If you look again at verses 2 through 7, you'll, you'll see David begin to delight himself in the memories of sweet fellowship and communion with God. In verse 2, David calls to mind the imagery of the tabernacle. This was a delight to David. This was the place where David experienced worship and sweet fellowship. This is where David saw the power and the glory of the Lord. It's here that he offered up thanksgivings. He offered up praises. It's here where he saw the sacrifices for his sins. The sanctuary was a delight for David. Worship was a delight for David. Again, it's a place where he experienced very deep and very rich communion with the Lord. He moves on in verses 3 to 4 to delight himself in his covenant relationship with God. He states that God's steadfast love is better than life. And I want you to, to, to pause there for a moment. I want you to hear that God's steadfast love is better than life. God's promises, God's promises, his covenant loyalty and love, God's promises to the church are sweeter and more delightful to David than his own life. David found great delight in, in his worship. He found great delight in God's ordinances. He found very great delight in, in the fellowship that he had with his Lord and the promises that God had given to him. It moves him in, amid all of these circumstances that David's in. It moves him to delight in the assurance of the presence of God. 
That's why he's calling to mind all these things, because he's delighting himself in the assurance of God's presence. And he's praising God for his covenant faithfulness. And he prays, he prays here for the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. Again, you must ask yourselves, is this, this your view of God? Is this your view of God and his promises? Is what God has promised you, is what God has promised his church more precious to you than your very life? Is all of this worth dying for? Giving it up all for? Is this more precious? Do, do God's promises bring you joy and delight as they do, David, as I hope they do? Again, here in verses 5 through 7, David is, is also brought to joy at, the meditation, as, at his meditations upon God. The thoughts of God cause David to use the imagery of a rich feast. A rich feast. This expresses satisfaction that comes from communion with God. These meditations, again, are helping David to rejoice and to bring praises to his lips. David's holding these signs very dear, very near and dear to his heart, that even in the wilderness, the power and the glory of God of Israel fill his affections. They fill his affections. I want you to think about that as we come week by week, every Lord's Day, to worship together as the church. We come to a great feast. We get to hear the word preached we get to sing the psalms. We get to join our voices in prayer. Oftentimes we have fellowship meals where we come together and we share a meal with one another. It's a great feast. We can also look at the Lord's Supper, a time that we come together to commune with one another in Christ and to commune with Him to see His promises for us. We enjoy that great sacrament. It's a delight to us. We long for it. We desire for it. We desire to come to the Lord's table. This is exactly what David's doing. What we do is what David's doing. In these times where we feel like this, we need to reflect and we need to meditate upon the riches that we have, the riches of worship, the riches of God's promise. We need to, to, to see and to delight and what God is doing for us on a week-by-week basis, it'll truly be what sustains us in those times. It'll be the assurance of God's presence and the delight in His promises. They bring very great delight to our souls. I also want us to see that it's in Christ that we have a fuller delight in the worship and promises of God. You see, for David here, as we saw, he talks about the tabernacle. He talks about thanksgiving and praises and, and sacrifices and these, these, these feasts. They were all shadows and types of what was fulfilled in Christ. David here is earnestly hoping and praying for God's covenant promises to be fulfilled. But for us, we don't look to an earthly tabernacle, but to a heavenly one. We look to Christ and we delight in the worship and fellowship that we have with our head and the body of the church. So we, like David, should make God our meditation and delight in the promises that have been fulfilled in Christ. Promises that are not only for you individually, but for the church. They've been fulfilled in Christ. Those should be our meditation. That should bring us great delight. 
Christ will be for you a banquet as you walk through the wildernesses of life. And upon any dark night of your soul, it will be Christ alone that can uphold you. It will be Christ alone that can soothe your weary and downcasted souls. You must learn again to throw yourself upon Christ and to delight in God through Christ, his victorious death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. This leads me to my last point, deliverance in God. Finally, if we, we look again at here, verses 8, 8 through 11, David here expresses a strong assurance of the future victory over his enemies. David is confident, and he clings to the one that has, has held and is continuing to uphold him. He's confident in what God has promised, and he's assured of the destruction of his enemies. And so we, we read here that we, we see that their portion in verse 10 he said or verse 9 and 10 he says but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth they shall be given over to the power of the sword they shall be a portion for the jackals right? David's confident in this destruction he's confident that their, their portion will be with a lot of the wicked and I hope we, we, we understand this imagery for the portion being with the jackals usually in battle the the enemies were, that were destroyed were left there to rot. Um, not only was this a sign of defilement, of, of wickedness, but it was also uh, the jackals would come out and eat them. This is, was a, a sign of, of great loss and humility. And, and what David is saying here is that our enemies, and I know sometimes it's hard for us to, to think in this way, but they will be destroyed. And that's not just our, our earthly enemies or enemies that come against the gospel because we pray for our enemies to, to come to the Lord. This is the enemies of sin. This is the devil, the flesh, and the world. We should be confident as David is confident that the lot for them is the lot of the wicked. It'll be with the jackals. It'll be slain on the battlefield. But we also see here that David comforts himself by looking forward to the day when not only he but the church would, would triumph, the day that he would be restored to the throne. But ultimately, as we see the king shall rejoice in God, we should see Christ here. The church will rejoice because of the triumph we have in Christ. Our king, as Christians, our king, for David, his king, has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. Christ is a king who is triumphant over every enemy. He secured every victory for his children. So we need to know that there's not any circumstance, there's not any aspect of our life that we should fret. We should not fret when anything in our life comes against us. It may be painful, it may bring sorrow, it may cause us to struggle, it may bring grief, pain, agony. But we can run to Christ amidst all of this. Our King has triumphed. There's no trial, no trouble, no circumstance that we should fear. Paul reminds us of this. He reminds us early in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that our last enemy, the last enemy for a Christian is death. It's death. The last, the only enemy that, that we should have to fear, if you will, would be death. But as, as, as we read and as we know, 
Paul concludes that section in chapter 15 by stating this beautiful, beautiful verse, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, you're more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors. Your confidence like David's is is in God's promises. It's not in yourselves. You see, for David, promises were made, but for you, they were kept. You live in light of Christ's resurrection. The risen Lord reigns and rules over all, and it's in him truly that all things have been put under his subjection. This ensures your deliverance. And all of this, as we've seen, it causes the king to rejoice. David rejoiced. Many of David's sons rejoiced. But ultimately, it's David's son and David's Lord who perfectly rejoices in God. It's Christ again. It's Christ who we see here. The verse also reads, All who exult in the Lord rejoice. All who exult in the Lord rejoice. So I hope we can see as we we come to these times where uh, we, like David, may be forced from comforts. We may be we may feel alienated from our families, from our friends. We may feel as if we have no hope. Or we may be struggling and battling with sin, feeling that when will I ever kill this sin or when will I ever truly be holy as God calls me to be holy. Whatever the circumstance, we have Christ and we can rejoice in him. You see, it's, it's in Christ who we stand. When things are going well in our lives, we don't look to ourselves and say, I did this and I'm good and it's my righteousness. No, we stand in Christ. And it's the same when we fall. When we fall, we fall in Christ. When we we repent, we repent in Christ. When we kill our sin, it's killed in Christ. It's slaughtered in him, not in our own strength. And when we come to seasons of life where we feel that everybody's coming after us, where the whole world is against us and we have no hope, it's in Christ that we rest. It's in, in desiring in his presence. In his, it's delighting and desiring in his presence and protection. There is no wilderness in our life that can separate us from God. And we need to know that. We need to know that. It's through Christ and, and through his desire that we share in his fullness. It's the fullness of Christ's joy in our lives. It says the mouth of liars will be stopped, but those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in Christ, those who desire, delight, and rest in his deliverance, those are the ones that shall be saved. Those are the ones that will persevere. Those will be the ones that desire and delight in the presence and protection of God. As John Calvin put it, it's our happiness and our glory. Our happiness and our glory, they depend entirely upon Christ, entirely upon him. So as we close, let us remember it is Christ that will lead you in your desire for the Father. It's it's Christ that will lead you in your delight for the Father. He will lead you to joy in the Father, and he will lead you to confidence in his final victory. This is Christ's prayers, and through him it becomes ours. Let us pray. Our Almighty God and gracious Father, uh, Lord, I do just thank you and praise you for 
the assurance of, of your presence. Lord, as we rejoice in your word, Lord, I, I truly am thankful and we are truly think, thankful that you have not left us alone. Most importantly, you've given us our, your son, our savior, who truly is our life. Lord, help us to experience and to grow in our, our union with the Son. Help us abide. Keep us, Lord, by your Spirit. Lord, we thank you that daily we get to hear from you in your word. And we have the 66 books that declare of your love, of your promises. Oh, what a comfort that is to us. Lord, help us as, as we see David as an example, but more clearly as we see Christ to truly, in the midst of all of our affliction, seek for your Son, to delight and desire after Christ. Lord, we thank you that you cause us to, to long after him and desire for that great day. And Lord, we truly do ask that you would bring that day soon so that we may no longer see in part, but we may see face to face. Lord, again, comfort all of us in Jesus Christ. Give us the, the words. Give us the meditations. And remind us of what we have in your family. We pray all of this in Christ's precious and matchless name.